Our chapter today is 1 Corinthians 15, and this is the quintessential chapter in the New Testament on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, of course, this is by no means the only place to read about Jesus' resurrection and the significance of it, but it is by far the most extensive discussion of the fact, meaning, and significance of the resurrection in the Bible. And there's no way we could uh, cover all that deserves to be covered in this lengthy chapter. And so I just want to pick a couple of noteworthy items from it to say a word about. Um, and here's the first thing. It has crossed my mind more than once that all it would really take to put an end to the Christian faith altogether and once and for all is for someone to produce the bodily remains of Jesus Christ. If someone found a tomb and through DNA evidence or something like that proved conclusively that these bones and remains belong to a man named Jesus of, from Nazareth, then all these years of the Christian faith um, have been nothing more than a sham and even Paul himself says in verse 19, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why is that? Because Christianity teaches that Jesus is a risen Savior. More on the significance of that fact in the next point. But if he's not risen, then he was in reality just like any other man. Someone might say, though, that that would be an impossible task if bones were unearthed. How would someone ever know for certain that they belong to Jesus? Well, let me take it a step further. In reality, uh, Christianity could have been over and finished before it ever had gotten off the ground if someone in that day could have produced his body to prove he was still dead. Paul knew that, and knowing that, consider what he says in verses 5 through 7. Quote, He, that is Jesus, Jesus appeared after his resurrection to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Did you catch that? Paul made the astonishing claim that the resurrected Jesus had actually appeared to hundreds of people and claiming that many of those were still alive at the time that he was writing the letter to the Corinthians. If Paul was simply making all of this up, surely one of them could have stepped forward, perhaps would have stepped forward and said so. Those eyewitnesses were still walking around for all the skeptics to see, and many literally gave their very lives defending the truth of what they had seen and heard. Do you think they would have done that? They would have given their life in, in, in sometimes violent ways if there was even the slightest possibility that Jesus was still dead in the tomb or dead somewhere, that the, that the self-proclaimed Savior was slain and couldn't even save himself. I, I, I have a hard time believing that they would have given their lives uh, and, and sometimes in violent ways if there was even the slightest possibility. The reality is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was such an unassailable fact that no skeptic from that day till now could make a credible case against it. And thousands have given their lives uh, to defend this truth. We serve a risen Savior indeed. But secondly, what's the big deal? Uh, let's, let's, let's all agree that Jesus did rise from the dead and, and, uh, and did it just like the Bible says he did. So what? What is, the, what is so significant about the resurrection? Um, well, early on in the chapter, Paul also very clearly says in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins. So if his 
death accomplished um, the, the forgiveness of our sins. Why does Jesus have to be raised from the dead? And what significance is the resurrection if his death on the cross accomplished all that needed to be accomplished? Well, to help us answer that, there's a very interesting phrase that appears in verse 17 of the chapter. There Paul makes the astonishing statement that, quote, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Wait a minute. I thought verse 3 said that Christ died for our sins. What is all this about us still being in our sins if he hasn't been raised? He still died. This forces us to consider the relationship between the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, they are really two sides of the same coin of redemption. What is the relationship between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead? The answer is that the resurrection is the confirmation that the payment for our sins was complete. It was finished. In order to pay the penalty of our sins, death was necessary because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So, to pay our wage, Jesus died. In order to experience the, uh, sin's greatest power, death was necessary because according to James 1.14 and 15, death is sin's greatest power. So Jesus died. As long as Jesus was dead, he was paying sin's penalty and, under, uh, 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 and succumbing to sin's greatest power. There is where the resurrection comes in. When Jesus finished paying the penalty of our sins, he rose again to life. The fact that he was no longer dead confirmed that the payment was complete. Just like if a person receives a 10-year prison sentence, his release from prison after 10 years is proof that the 10-year sentence has been served. When Jesus wanted to defeat sin's greatest power over us, that is death, he rose again to life. The fact that he was no longer dead confirmed that sin's greatest power over us has been defeated. It cannot hold us because it did not hold him. And we're connected to him, we're in him. This is why Paul concluded the chapter by saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And those are just a couple of thoughts on the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15.